This is the Voice of America coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. Who will win, capitalists or socialists? Are there any other alternatives? This is what we'll deal with in the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book written by Jerry L. Rhodes. The book delves into the possibilities of a third party. Based upon what we've received from the socialists and the capitalists with respect to the evolution of American society and American politics is embodied in the current financial financial situation that we're facing in America. The facts about where we are and where we're going as far as the financial uh, uh, statements for our country, they have, up till now they have been presented to us in a cooked books format. The reality is, is that the current $22 trillion debt uh, and deficit are understated by $100 trillion because the obligations for pensions, uh, government pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, and certain other uh, entitlement programs are not on the books. They are only recorded as paid. So we don't have uh, a set of financial statements or information that are on the generally accepted accounting basis. It's because we're um, only reporting on an institutional basis, which is limited to a budgetary system of cash disbursements and cash receipts. We're running the government like it was a corner drugstore. Um, so in the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, I as a CPA will map out where we are and where this is taking us financially and politically. My story, 37 years of frontline experience with government-run healthcare. When I graduated from college, I was recruited by Arthur Anderson and Company in uh, the Chicago office. Arthur Anderson Company being the one of the eight largest accounting firms in the world, and according to the ratings, number one in reputation and uh, reliability. My accounting professor, Myron Sorden, recommended me to them after I was awarded the Wall Street Journal Annual Award to the Outstanding Bachelors of Science and Business Graduate. Little did I know that this was a choice of my lifetime to pursue a career, not just a job, and enable me and my new family to move to the city of Chicago and pursue this opportunity with the number one public accounting firm in the world. I went to the firm's 
boot camp, not knowing what that meant in terms of what I didn't know versus what I was expected to do in a short period of time. I didn't really know how, nor was I prepared to take the CPA exam since I was a liberal arts graduate, not an accounting major from the University of Illinois. After surviving the four weeks of hell, I was prepared to bring my wife, Sherry and Christy, our two-year-old daughter, to the city of 7 million from our hometown of 5,000. My first assignment, after sitting in the firm's library for only, only a week, I was assigned to an audit and spent the next month running an adding machine, reconciling the bank accounts for a bowling supply company. While there, I was called in and told I was being transferred to the small business division immediately. I couldn't have been happier and began my healthcare consulting career the next week. I was assigned to the Blue Cross Blue Shield account. From day one, August 1st, 1961, I was a healthcare consultant in training for which I had been recruited, a career, for path, a career path that would last for 50 years. I was with AA and Co. for eight years, took the CPA exam, passed it the first time, and became a so-called Medicare expert. When Medicare was passed in June 1964 and AA and Co. was to roll out Medicare to hospitals and skilled nursing homes as uh, for our client, Blue Cross of America, at that time I was doing hospital cost report audits for Blue Cross and inherited the assignment to set up Medicare cost reporting procedures in hospitals. From there, I took a, a job offer from another CPA public accounting firm that had 26 Catholic hospital clients, and I was their Medicare cost report expert. I was made a partner and then was recruited by another CPA public accounting firm to set up their healthcare division. My next move was to start my own public accounting firm, J.L. Rhodes and Company, and a consulting firm managed better operations, specializing in nursing home systems and operations. This led to, <clears throat> to starting a software development company for cost accounting and billing for nursing homes. I was basically too soon with my vision of what the nursing homes needed to be, to be competitive with hospitals and set up roads reimbursement systems to capture Medicare money for skilled nursing facilities. When one of my clients needed an on-site administrator, I passed the nursing home administrator exam and became a licensed nursing home administrator. I became a turnaround troubleshooter, fixing troubled decertified nursing homes. And uh, until that time when my wife, son and I purchased three facilities, all troubled and in need of computer systems and management and a reform management philosophy and procedures. After losing a battle to change the regulatory nightmare, we, we sold our three uh, nursing homes and now are authoring our experience and solutions into books for sale and my podcast. I am told by some of my contemporaries that it is only a matter of time when the need will catch up with our solutions. Now my readers and listeners will have to judge and help us implement them. This is all chronic, chronicled at www.jerryroadsauthor.com. Uh, this is episode number 31. Healthcare for all. Are you listening? If you are, please share 
those episodes that inspire you to participate in a positive approach to national health care as a problem-solving exercise, not just debating an issue. Obviously, I'm a new podcaster. My podcasts are not that uh, dynamic. Uh, I am reading from materials that I have myself written. Uh, I would like to be able to ad-lib a little more, but as I'm reading, it's hard to go into ad-libbing. So I will continue to read and then eventually evolve into doing this free form. That is probably evident due to my having to do some presentations using my books and other others using my use of poetry to inflect sensitivity into the serious problems in our that exist in our society and politics. Once I achieve more professional and passionate presentations, I feel the listener will share some of my ideas and experience in the healthcare field and the fiscal management of businesses and management science with their friends and contacts. So far, I have had 10 different countries listen in, most in America, but from Russia, Iran, the Netherlands, Sweden, Costa Rica, India, United Kingdom, Singapore, Australia, and Italy. My listening time per podcast has to improve and return traffic has to get interested in the topics and encourage me to continue or I won't get listed on the, the big 10 of podcasters. Why America's, why America's current slide into the pandemic, racial injustice and economic decline uh, are in my sweet spot as qualifications are in healthcare and health economics. I qualify as a scientist due to my frontline knowledge of systems and technology as it pertains to healthcare. I'm also an entrepreneur, having owned my own businesses for 40 years, including public accounting, software development for healthcare, management consulting for healthcare, and ownership and management of healthcare facilities. I've written 17 books, most re related to my expertise and my vision of the world from an American perspective, American citizen perspective. This will be for the good, bad, and the indifferent application of healthcare and politics in all our lives. This spiced up with um, my wife and myself have done a memoir, um, How to Live Forever. Uh, it's 12 vows for staying married and Living, living happily ever after. It's uh, you can find it at www.lifestylesforaging.com. So the real purpose of that website is to, in part, our uh, vows, wedding vows, and our lifestyle, healthy lifestyle, that supports our 60-year marriage and our 80 years of living. It's with the emphasis on living longer, happier, and healthier lives. That has been proven to be improved by a stable marriage and family, according to the researchers. So our primary recommendation is stay married, be happy, be healthy, and love your family. This episode will focus on that topic, 
and relate this to a mode of prevention for this pandemic and others to follow. Unfortunately, this one will take years to get resolved. Maybe not by vaccine, but by better and healthier immunity systems. And those who compromise by chronic illness, uh, making attempts to, to have their health preserved and avoid chronic disease. And the process proposes a better way of paying for outcomes to our providers uh, rather than just their incomes. And in the process, getting better quality of life and longevity. This segment uh, regarding healthcare, I'm going to uh, read from chapter three in my book, uh, The Boomers Are Coming, and how that will impact uh, our national healthcare program and costs. First topic health preservation. It uh, prevents chronic disease and balances the budget. Americans are aging in record numbers. Restorative care is the best of the best at assisting an aging population with its health preservation needs. We should do this in a non-institutional setting and recognize that long-term care is not a permanent resting place. Because, guess what? Nursing homes are not our patient's home. The definition of home is primary domicile, abode where one's family resides, where you pay your property taxes or rent, where you go after work, and it is where the family meets for birthdays. The dorm, the fraternity, and sorority houses, barracks, camp, hospital, hotel, motel, and the nursing home are all alternatives to home to home sweet home. Home is where, we ha where our stove is. Home is where our garage is. And home is where your heart is. So why do we spend an inordinate amount of time and money trying to convince the patients that are in nursing homes that, they are, that it's their home? Sorry, this is the wrong foot. We are drawing a false conclusion to life better known as a false positive. Why not say it like it is? That is, it, that it's a way back home. It is a t it's about time we got on the right foot. Nursing homes should be short-term alternatives to home. To go back home, must be, one must be physically strong, emotionally capable, socially able, and spiritually ready. So wellness is not just a doctor, a hospital, a therapist, a nurse, or a social worker. It is a wellness team formed to restore the patient back home or to a lower level of dependence in assisted living or a nursing home. Wellness is a mission. We should be in the business of preserving health. We, should, we need to encourage, energize, and energize wellness rather than capitalize on illness. 
we need to provide an extension of the life the patients have lived, not set up a dead end to an active life. We should measure our success by our patients' active quality of life. The restorative care model embraces the holistic commitment to our patients' health preservation and a continuum of services. Our approach to health is to get everyone in the community more active. Active uh, as an uh, anagram, uh, accept challenges to inspire vital energy. That spells active. Wellness is a lifestyle. Wellness is a commitment first and then a state of mind. Then it's a habit until it becomes a lifestyle. It's not inherited, but it is earned through knowing what can be accomplished by overcoming coming our deficits. You first admit to them, measure them, set goals for improvement, and set off on the wellness journey, journey with a planned destination of a quality of life in the uh, later years. This is a self-health approach to health preservation, preserving ourselves through physical exercise, psychological development, social interaction, and spiritual outlets. Health preservation is a personal responsibility to life now, before, during, and after the aging process takes its toll. Webster defines preserve as to keep free from injury, harm, or destruction, to keep or save, safe from decompensation, to keep alive, intact, and free of harm. Therefore, health preservation is physical fitness, emotional stability, social capability, and spiritual activity. The restorative care service strategy embraces this holistic commitment to our citizens' health preservation and a continuum of services for continuous improvement. Currently, the health care crisis is upon us with 77 million baby boomers coming online for care. They are all prone to have four or five chronic diseases upon reaching the Medicare benefit age of 65. We are currently spending at a, at a, at a rate that will reach 30% of GNP by 2026. Therefore, to avoid national bankruptcy, we must lower the rate of increase in healthcare costs by eliminating wasteful clinical practices and, and improving quality controls, balancing the budget, and most importantly, pursuing restorative outcomes. That accomplishment will be the result of the proposed paradigm shift from crisis care to health preservation of America. The shift promotes three basic principles. Number one, healthcare is a privilege and each American must take personal responsibility for their health. Number two, the billions and now trillions of dollars of waste in the current system can and must be eliminated. Three, we must mandate a universal health care benefit package that ensures all Americans and uses outcomes as the basis for payment. Health preservation is further defined as a proactive set of lifestyle principles that will change the cultural bias towards self-preservation. 
These preservation principles include a holistic lifestyle for each American based on fitness, nutritional value, avoidance of harmful chemicals, private relationships, positive relationships, meaningful family values, and spiritual commitments to self and others. This is the desired state for everyone, but currently our nation's healthcare reimbursement system does not support this pursuit. More specifically, a nation, as a nation, we pay our hospitals, nursing homes, and skilled nursing facilities based on diagnosis and treatments, creating an incentive for keeping elderly patients ill instead of making them well. Instead, we should reimburse our long-term care industry for creating desirable outcomes to achieve health preservation and quality of life. The objective of health preservation is to improve the quality of life in, Ameri in America for an aging population. The goal is to pursue this lifestyle in an effort to preserve personal health and lower the cost to society for chronic diseases, rehospitalization, over-medication, redundant and unnecessary crisis testing, turnover of healthcare staff, injuries to staff and patients, <clears throat> pursuit of treatment based on symptoms, waste due to lack of focus on causation and well-defined outcomes, payment for treatment and housing, and waste due to lack of focus on restorative services and reintegration, uh, discharge and reintegration back to the community-based programs. What are the five chronic diseases and cost of care killers? Number one, diabetes. Two, obesity. Three, cardiovascular disease. Four, hypertension. Five, lung disease, which is certainly being proven by uh, our current pandemic of the corona uh, virus. What is the cost of chronic diseases? 43% of healthcare expenditures are spent annually on chronic diseases. That translates to 860 billion spent after the disease is active and uh, tight as a noose. What can we do to prevent rather than just treat chronic illness and chronic disease? First of all, fitness prevents chronic diseases. Studies have given physical fitness high scores on building immune systems and warding off chronic illnesses. For example, the use of cardiovascular training equipment builds the cardio system to preserve health and build the immune respiratory system. Nutrition prevents chronic diseases. Studies have shown that a proper diet of fiber, fruits, vegetables, and white meat builds resistance to heart problems, cancer due to car carginidins, obesity, and diabetes. Avoidance of harmful chemicals prevents chronic diseases. Studies in, in, in history have shown that 
cessation of smoking and and uh, use of illegal non-prescription and some prescription drugs and alcohol allows the body to sustain its immune system without dependency on chemicals. Positive relationships prevent chronic diseases. Studies and experience have proven that a stable relationship with a companion removes and can eliminate stresses in life decisions, thereby preventing chemical and food abuses and preserving the body and mind through positive reinforcement of self and attitude. This can converts to a stronger mind and body for building and preserving the immunity to chronic diseases. Meaningful, meaningful family values prevent chronic diseases. The family unit remains the most stabilizing force in American li Americans' lives, regardless of age. Even though the divorce rate has complicated the process, the nuclear family still prevails as the most important factor in warding off weaknesses of the body and the mind. Not only does this affect the health of America, it affects the very future of our economy. Spiritual commitments to self and others prevents chronic diseases. It is simply mind over matter. You are what you think you are. To do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you can conceive it, believe it, you can achieve it. These quotes all revolve around faith and spiritual values. If you cultivate your spirits, you will grow strong physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. What an indestructible con combination of life builders. The immunity of the self and others to, to chronic disease and illness thrives on belief and hope. There are, these are the cure-alls for the mind to ward off the weaknesses of the body. Preventive chronic diseases in summary. Since it has been shown that, that uh, the above principles are true and will reduce the stranglehold hold that for chronic disease has on our aging population, let's explore what we, the people, can do to preserve the health of all beings, all human beings, and our at the same time, save the dollars that have been spent on chronic diseases. The paradigm shift, which I will call shift, S-H-I-F-T, shift from healthcare to health preservation, a prevailing obligation of healthcare professionals for the cost and quality benefit of all Americans. Economically, this can be accomplished simply by rewarding the compliant American healthcare provider with benefits that, that the non-compliant has to earn. And I'll, and I'll state these, uh, the incentives. 50% tax write-off for fitness costs, equipment, membership, trainers, etc. 50% tax write-off for right foods and nutri nutrients purchased. 50% tax write-off for counseling and rehab for substance abuse. 50% tax write-off for anger and problem resolution counseling, including counseling for abortion and drug abuse. 50% tax write-off for family functions and get-togethers. 50% tax write-off for contribution to, to church and charities. 
the average taxpayer is going to have these following tax benefits as a, an economic incentive, incentive to uh, pursue uh, health preservation versus just making the moral commitment that we all need to be healthier to, to save costs for the greater good. In this approach, each individual is then internalized the reason for being healthy. It's the amount of money that they save for later um, retirement. Thank you for this particular uh, recording. Continuing on this uh, topic of health preservation and uh, how we can improve the quality of life and reduce the costs to uh, society. These are, these are ex excerpts from my book, The uh, Boomers Are Coming. Economic benefits can be converted to moral benefits by using tax savings if invested in long-term care insurance. This provides benefits for later use for long-term care that, if not overutilized, can be used for retirement and at-home living costs. How will that happen? How, we, how can we preserve health and uh, save costs at the same time? Well, re-hospitalization and over-medication. Nine out of 10 nursing home patients will have at least five hospitalizations per year after the age of 80. Currently, the doctor rarely visits the patients in the nursing home before a drug is prescribed or a diagnosis is made. Instead, the nurse obtains a telephone order from the doctor for medications treatment or for the patient to go to the emergency room as a stopgap measure. To stop this waste of healthcare dollars, the following rules should be established. Number one, no telephone orders. Physicians must see the patient to prescribe a medication or a discharge. Two, no change of diagnosis without a complete history and physical by the physician, updated history and physical by the physician for visiting the patient in, by fit, visiting the patient in the nursing home. Three, no increase in Medicaid dosage or st starting additional medications after the age of 75 unless justified by a cause and effect, which uh, is documented in a care plan with an expected outcome. Redundant and unnecessary crisis testing. All caregivers must use an active care plan that focuses on restor restoring function and pursuing a positive outcome of improvement or stopping decline before ordering further testing, unless it is, is a screening test for a known problem. Turnover of healthcare staff. All health preservation services will be provided by professionals schooled in medication reduction, restorative and rehabilitation services, that provide programs that resolve physical, occupational, social, and psychological problems. 
staff performance is measured based on the execution of an accomplishment of an outcome-driven care plan. To guide the process, case management software and a library of outcome models for each problem triggered must be utilized. This makes productive and efficient use of staff's time, resulting in better quality and higher morale, therefore, thereby reducing turnover and costs. Injury to staff and patients. A motivated and professional staff will prevent defects in the pursuit of positive outcomes by being alert to the patient's problems and treatment plan. This will be precautions set up. There will be precautions set up by the caregiver teams to comply with the quality control standards and performance measures in the pursuit of positive results, including cost effectiveness, profitability, and quality of life. The staff injury rate and patient fall rates have been linked to the ability of staff to handle the risk of injury and falls through the use of teams and prevention st strategies. Pursuit of treatment based on symptoms creates waste due to lack of focus on causation and well-defined outcomes. Currently, physicians, hospitals, and clinics are not required by law to have care plans in place to support the delivery of medications, care, and pursuit of outcomes. Without these tools, the clin clinicians in most cases are not um, required to determine cause before ordering treatment, testing, or medication. More often than not, the doctor and hospital are treating symptoms, not the causes. Therefore, the, the ability to prevent further occurrence is hampered and made more complicated. This is the biggest generator of wasted resources due to misdiagnosis and far more troubling uh, treatment. It is estimated that the wrong diagnosis is arrived at 45% of the time. The use of care plans, model approaches, and measured outcomes must be put into the regimen so the control of quality dictates the pay for performance rather than the counting of mistakes and assuming that absence of mistakes is quality of care. Payment for treatment and housing. A paradigm shift from current best practices to an evidence-based system is urgently needed. I call this the conversion of inductive medicine to deductive medicine. Inductive processes lend themselves to art forms, not sciences. Healthcare needs to become a deductive science with the use of computers, artificial intelligent models of care based on historical data. Then we can break the old habits of paying to keep patients sick, capitalizing on illness, and making money on declining health. The, inst the institutional bias can be changed to a transitional bias, meaning institutional warehouses for the old and infirm are turned into the care houses of the new baby boomer paradigm. Economic incentives will have to drive the improvements in care under an outcome-based payment system. Let's call it pay for performance, PFP. The basic payment principles will be, number one, provider contracts will require computerized evidence-based case care plans. Two, base rate will be for minimal complexity rather ranging up to maximum complexity. 
number three add-ons will be authorized for restorative services, including surgery, rehab, and discharge planning. Waste due to lack of focus on restorative services and reintegration back to the community-based programs will save money. Dr. W. Edwards Deming defined waste as the loss of profits and the destruction of quality. Waste in healthcare is rampant due to the above thesis. Wasted time, effort, low expectations, and results based on pursuit of money, not outcomes. A restorative model replacing the medical and social models that now exist with the, with the payment for positive outcomes would change the paradigm immediately. In a monopsony, one buyer market, the government can and should di dictate deductive case management processes to eliminate waste and capitalize on quality of life. Not only does the budget for America's health depend on it, but it can thrive on it. The spending can be best be estimated and controlled by standardizing the benefits and paying for the pursuit of outcome, not income. Implementation strategy, strategies shift the paradigm to self-health insurance funding trust. Implementation strategies. Number one, disconnect costs from employers. Two, shift costs to employee savings accounts. Three, withhold premiums for we pre-tax out from pre-tax salaries. Four, set premiums based on annualized health profiles. Five, fund the unemployed out of Medicaid. Six, fund catastrophic cases out of Medicare. Seven, utilize health insurance industry to collect, invest, and disperse health funds. Number eight, allow significant tax deductions for keeping fit and well for preserving health and preventing chronic diseases. This is what I would call a uh, shift of the paradigm from government-controlled healthcare to privatizing healthcare uh, using the flow of dollars uh, from uh, covered beneficiaries' savings accounts. Disconnecting the health insurance premium from employers would include all of health insurance, not just long-term care insurance. The National Health Program would not require the employer to fund anything. Since the employer cannot control the cost, they should not have to pay the cost. The cost would be the responsibility of the individual who is the only one that can control their health and, and subsequent costs. However, the employer would need to compensate the employee for excluding that benefit. I know this sounds bizarre, but that is the way it should happen. Should have been set up when Blue Cross became the catalyst for employer paid health care programs in the 1940s. Now the employer and government are stuck in the middle. For the health preservation incentives to work, the individuals, both employee and uninsured, must make responsibility, take responsibility for their health so the cost can be controlled. Then the funding of individual health savings accounts will, will be withheld by the employer based on the employee's health profile. We can also have the employer pay a share rather than just increasing the employee's salary. 
Rate setting would be based on age, health, past utilization, and everyone shares in funding the safety nets for Medicare, catastrophic for the elderly, and Medicaid uh, uninsured uh, or unemployed um, beneficiaries. Major tax deductions would be allowed for staying fit, healthy, eating habits, and annual screening for chronic diseases. Obviously, the insurance companies would have to be the managers of the funds for investment and processing of the claims, keeping state and federal governments hands off of the, mo hands off of the money. This is a privatized approach with employers withholding the funds and claims managers, i.e. insurance industry, would invest the premiums into the American economy and disperse the funds to the providers on a timely basis using outcomes as the measurement for payment. To facilitate transitioning the current system to a privatized fund, the federal government would shift self-health insurance funding trust funds and the Medicare trust funds to newly created national health insurance accounts. The health insurance companies would cease to collect premiums and the states would no longer pay for Medicaid coverage. Then the employer, employer withheld premiums would shift into the national health insurance, shift savings accounts for, for the employees. The employees would choose which mutual health insurance company would administer, saving, administer their savings accounts based on the company's rate of return on their portfolio of investments. This cannot be accomplished with the incremental change usually implemented by the federal government. It will require sweeping change. It is anticipated that the 77 million voting baby boomers who began to turn 60 in the past year will be on this bandwagon of positive changes for elder care. Shift the paradigm is the proposed implementation strategy. This solution makes winners out of all the stakeholders. First of all, there is now control of costs at the consumer level, and the consumers have the power to exercise over the providers as it should be for quality and cost, uh, 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 cost uh, support and of their pricing. To, uh, secondly, the providers are paid fairly and timely on the basis of outcomes. Thirdly, the employers, state and federal governments are taken out of the middle. Fourthly, the excess funding can, can now be invested in American businesses and a return generated on the money. Fifthly, in theory, we are eliminating the waste in the system and improving the quality. Of course, this would take ISO standardized benefits, computerized processing of claims and medical records and economized models of care for directing the clinical processes under a Six Sigma type of environment. Deming, Drucker, Maslow, and other management gurus would, would turn over in their grave for this one. It's called Shift uh, Conversion Plan for Universal Healthcare. First, withhold as we do for Social Security and Medicare. $100 a month for 10 years on 179 million workers per month for 120 months equals 2.2 trillion, 
which pays for health care for every employed person under 65. Medicaid funded out of Social Security withholding pays for health care for the unemployed. We increase withholding to $100 per month plus 2% of gross salary for the next 10 years, assuming 25,000 average annual salaries equals 4.5 trillion plus 2.0 trillion equals 6.7 trillion. After 2030, the withholding is calculated on a sliding scale based on a percentage of gross salaries discounted by a factor for the employee's positive health profile uh, impact on his on gross salaries. Assuming 1% of $50,000 average annual salaries equals 4.5 trillion plus enough to fund a $3 trillion per year cap on healthcare and long-term care expenditures, which equals 7.5 trillion. By 2040, all withholding would be based on each individual's health pro profile. Next, we'll do more specifics on how to do this. This is the last segment of this episode. It comes from chapter four of my book, The Boomers Are Coming. It's called Solving the Healthcare Crisis. Eliminate wasted resources. We have heard a lot of rhetoric regarding the problems in nursing homes. We've heard stories of elder abuse, apathy, loss of dignity, and diminishment of ability upon admission to one of these facilities. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing the problems with no proposed solutions. It is important to all of us in America that the right solution be put into place because each and every year, each and every one of us gets closer to our golden years. I'm here to tell you what needs to be done to rectify this situation. Let's begin by talking averages. Under the current situation, our nation's 16,000 nursing homes have on average 123 beds each and are on uh, the average 85% occupied at any given time. That totals 1.9 million nursing home beds and an 85% occupancy, 1.7 million of those beds uh, are occupied occupied on any given day with 1.7 million patients at $167 per day average in, in revenue times 365 days equals $103.6 billion in nursing home revenues annually, not including therapies and pharmaceuticals. Most of this is being paid by federal and state governments, more commonly known as the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, the acronym is CMS. Yet in spite of these numbers, nursing homes continue to have trouble making ends meet, and the industry maintains that they need even more money for more staff, which is the indicated problem that's causing low quality of care, according to uh, the critics. I maintain and will demonstrate shortly that there is enough money and staff, but that much of it is being wasted. 
I'm a licensed nursing home administrator in the states of Iowa, Illinois, and Arkansas, who has turned around more than 150 failing nursing homes. That experience gives me the right to speak on behalf of a struggling industry. As a son whose parents have had to be placed in nursing homes, and as a husband who supported his wife in the same situation with her mother, I can speak from the heart. Since I am also a CPA by education and experience, uh, 50, 60 years in fact, I can speak the numbers and give well-balanced uh, information on a very complex problem. The situation in American nursing homes should be easy to explain and easy to remedy, but it is not. The industry has warring factions within it, some of which lobby successfully for, the, for change that does not benefit the patient, and others whose heart is in the right place but have no idea how to change what desperately needs to be changed. I hope to be that one individual that brings all the parties and factions together for a win-win solution all around. An analysis showed that the most frequent problems that plague the long-term care industry include 89% employee turnover, 25% employee sick call-ins, lack of accountability for productivity causing an estimated 50% um, in productive time lost for each staff member, patient falls which lead to heavy liability insurance premiums, polypharmacy costs, polypharmacy meaning over medication, that put the elderly in jeopardy for falls and incontinence, the cost of enforcement for all rules and regulations, including the cost of fighting the surveyor's uh, findings, many of which are arbitrary and capricious, the cost of the rehospitalization due to chronic illnesses, resulting in 80% of the healthcare dollar being spent in the last two years of the elderly people's lives. We the people are paying dearly for these things that provide no patient benefit. One can easily argue that treating employees with respect, giving them a career path and meaningful work will turn around these deplorable employee statistics. I know this for sure, I have done it. Let's examine the, the, same, the issue of patient falls. Let's call it a problem of patient's falls. They average four per patient in each long-term care facility, which translates to uh, almost 7 million falls annually. On average, 20% or 1.3 million of these result in hospitalization, costing us, the people, over $6 billion to it in additional hospital expenses without any uh, vision of a positive outcome other than sending them back to the nursing home. At the same time, the facility loses revenue, the nursing facility loses revenue while the patient is hospitalized, a cost to the industry of $1.8 billion. Additional cost of the industry to be prepared for lawsuits arising out of the patient falls is another $4 billion in liability insurance premiums. Due to the enforcement philosophy of the state and federal regulators, each facility is inspected uh, annually or more often to catch them doing something wrong. This results in, in excess of 1.1 million man hours spent surveying nursing homes 
at the average cost of $50 per hour or a total of $57 billion. Add to that the estimated legal fees for fighting and, and fighting perceived unreasonable findings for another 80. It says million. I think it's a bill, it's billion. Despite the 137 million worth of investment, the problems still exist. Enforcement policies are clearly ineffective. Here's a summary of estimated hidden costs and ways that we have defined. Cost of employee turnover, 7.1 billion annually. Two, the cost of employee absenteeism, 832 billion annually. Three, cost of low productivity, 13 billion. Four, cost of falls, 6 billion. Five, lost revenue on falls, 1.8 billion. Six, cost of liability insurance, 4 billion. Seven, cost of conducting surveyors, 57 million. I guess that is million. Number eight, cost of fighting survey results, 80 million. Total dollars lost uh, on enforcement without positive outcome results, 32.1 billion annually. In addition, outsourcing therapies and pharmaceuticals is a common practice in the long-term care industry. Outsourcing eliminates any control over those, these costs by the individual nursing homes. Currently, these outsourced companies use rent-free space in the nursing home. Assuming that 16 million, I'm sorry, 16,000 nursing homes average 10 Medicare patients per day, the average cost is $300 per day, and the therapy company takes 70% of the revenue. Here's how the numbers crunch. 160,000 patients per day times $300 per day equals 48 billion sorry, 48 million in revenue per patient therapy days times 365 days equals a total of 17 billion annually in therapy revenue. If the facilities bring the therapies in-house rather than outsource them, they could conservatively save half of the annual amount outsourced cost or 8.5 billion a year. And then bill it themselves and generate uh, the 17 billion in, in revenue. They would have to incur the cost of hiring their own therapists. Pharmaceutical outsourcing changes can net even more savings. According to a study by the National Health Policy Forum, over 80% of the nursing home beds in the United States are served by institutional pharmacies. On any given day, there are 104 patients on average in each 123-bed nursing home. Each of these 104 patients is taking on an average of 12 to 15 medications per day at an estimated $12, $12 cost um, of the medication of $102 a day. Here's what the numbers look like. 104 patients times 16,000 nursing homes equals 1.6 million patients. On an average day, 1.6 million uh, patients times 15 medications equals 25 million medications daily across the, the nation. 25 million medications times $12 equals 300 million a day for medications. Annually, we spend 109 billion, billion on medications for patients in nursing homes. Uh, 
unfortunately, uh, polypharmy exists, polypharmacy exists, which means over medication because the doctors are not, not accountable for their doctor's orders and uh, the pharmacy is not accountable for any outcome. So there's a double double whammy here. There's there's $109 billion spent on over-medicating the elderly, which would include oxycodone and fentanyl and, and uh, uh, opioids and psychotropics uh, without any proof of, of need or uh, successful outcome. Is this money well spent? According to an article published on the ARP website written by pharmacist Armand B. Neal Jr., I quote, you see so many cookie cutter approaches to taking care of old people. Almost 100% of the people I see are outpatient, as outpatients are over-medicated because the ones I see are the ones who are having problems. If I go into a long-term care environment, it's about 80%. If I can get the drug therapy management correct, there are fewer hospital stays, fewer hospital admissions, lower label, labor costs involved in care, and a better quality of life for patients. And I add to that more people getting better and going home. This information bolsters the reports that the presence of the polypharmacy in nursing homes is a serious problem. In addition, outsourcing the pharmacy provides an incentive for, to the institutional pharmacy to increase the billable and billable and further their billables and further exacerbate the problem without any direct physician oversight. Taking Neil's advice to cut the amount of medications in half could deliver another $54 billion in annual savings and uh, create an environment where the patients have been known to get better and more to go home. We had that experience with the, a patient that in our nursing home in Muscatine that uh, uh, usually came in weekly and sang with uh, the karaoke group. And he then had a stroke uh, and, and went to the hospital, uh, was referred to us. His wife was dying of cancer and his 12 children were struggling with having to place him in a skilled nursing facility because of the known uh, lack of uh, compunction for that kind of, a, of a admission. When we got him, he was uh, very com combative. He had never really been that ill before. He had been very active and the doctor uh, uh, ordered uh, uh, pain medications, the psychotropic, extensive um, medications, and that he be uh, uh, restrained in some way so he wouldn't hurt himself. Well, uh, after a week or so, it became evident that that wasn't working. He was threatening our staff. He was combatant, non-compliant. And when I met with the family, I said, I think we can take him off uh, all of, most of, if not all of the medications that uh, has been prescribed. We did so. We got him up with a, with a walker out of the restrained, uh, by restrained, restrained, I mean, he had a uh, fall um, restraint on him. Got him up and within two weeks, 
he was 100% better. And within another two weeks, a month after he was admitted, he was, he was on his way home. The family was so ecstatic, as was his wife. He was able to spend the rest of her days as she did expire. And then we uh, invited him back as a part of his karaoke group. And then he did return and was, uh, was uh, as active, if not more active than he was before. That is only the beginning. What I really want to explain is what the long-term care industry has had to do in response to the CMS fiscal intermediaries methodology of consistently issuing denials to nursing homes that are billing on behalf of, the, of their beneficiaries, principally Medicare. The denials I'm speaking of are issued according to rules of thumb and looking for reasons to deny. Both of these practices are clearly stated violations in the court cases Fox v. Bowen, uh, which in, in, is a 1986 precedent-setting judgment reconfirmed by recent uh, judgment, GMO versus Sibulus, October 2012. And then I want to lay out the solution that benefits the patients, the providers, and the federal and, legal, and local governments that are fooling, that are footing the bill. My solution is win, win, win. In response to the unreasonable denials, the industry as a whole has moved for, toward removing patients from the Medicare skilled care and moving them to spend down or to the Medicaid program for the rest of their days. At that point, the patient is doomed to a nursing home and probably a wheelchair. I propose we cease and desist from this practice immediately. Here is why. The financial impact of continu continuing to treat patients under their Medicare benefits until they <coughs> are restored to their highest level of functioning is incredibly positive. It is so positive, in fact, that it's, it's difficult to understand why someone hadn't thought of this before, uh, before me. Let me walk you through it. Currently, Medicare patients being rehabbed in nursing homes average 33 days on Medicare before being transferred to, as stated above and without being restored to their highest level of, level of, of functioning possible. Those caregivers in nursing homes who know how to document care and justify skilled care restore patients in, a, in an average of 55 days. By law, patients are entitled to 100 days of skilled care for every episode. Uh, a Medicare episode of care that is in, indicated by a three-day hospital stay. Using the more conservative average of 55 days provides for 22,000 additional days of care under Medicare, all uh, being justified by restorative nursing and or uh, uh, rehab, rehabilitative therapies. This makes the difference between restoring a patient and discharging them home or graduating them to a lower level of care. Not only will this result in better outcomes, it will reduce the in incident of rehospitalization, which takes place on average three to five times per year uh, per Medicare patient. With an average of 160,000 Medicare patients per day in nursing homes, this results in approximately 600,000 admissions to hospitals at a cost of $10,000 for a 4.5 average length of stay or a total of 50, uh, 6 billion in money that is better spent on nursing home restorative care. 
Currently among the 16,000 nursing homes, 67% of the patients are being paid for by Medicaid. This means out of 104 patients, 85% occupancy of 123-bed nursing home, 62.4 of them are Medicaid patients, and 41.6 are Medicare or self-pay patients on, it, on any given day. Medicaid is paying $134 million to house these patients in nursing homes. The Medicare or self-pay are paying $111 million. Annually, this breaks down to $40.5 billion for Medicare and self-pay and $49 billion for Medicaid. Medicaid does not pay for rehabilitation, only custodial skill care, which is why a patient who has a potential for being fully restored is doomed once he or she is transferred to Medicaid. Increasing the amount of time patients are supported by Medicare in order to fully restore them has two major effects. The first is to reduce billings to Medicaid by $3 billion annually and increase billings to Medicare by $3.6 billion, a variance of $6 billion, or basically $600 million. In other words, a, a $600 million um, investment to get a savings of $3.6 billion. This $600 million would be additional dollars into the coffers of the long-term care industry at the same time at the same time we the people should find ways of in, in incentive incentivizing the industry to achieve achieve the savings i've already mentioned we could for instance use some of the same dollars to give bonuses to those facilities that reduce their hidden costs for turnover uh, and uh, wasted uh, costs by, by, by specified and targeted amounts. The second effect is extremely compel compelling. We estimate that providing patients with their full Medicare lengths of stay will result, the 100-day length of stay will result in 10 more patients per nursing home per month discharged to home and or community programs. This has been our experience on this average in over 130 American nursing homes where this has been tried. 120 patients per year times 16,000 nursing homes equals almost 2 million patients who will be discharged to community-based programs and will not need Medicare or Medicaid dollars and will be living a much better quality of life. At the average of $135 per day, assuming they would be on Medicaid, if they were not being rehabbed and discharged times 2 million patients equals 270 million in savings for each patient day that these 2 million patients can be maintained at home. This number, number quickly multiplies to more than 8 billion per, per month or 99 billion per year in savings for an annual net investment of only 600 million. Between the 95 billion in waste and the 96 billion in patient from patient restoration, the federal government has the potential for $191 billion in savings each year. The $600 billion annual net investment in restoring the elderly would have, give patients the capability to live the rest of their lives with elder pride and the subsequent boost in income to providers would create an efficient and cost-effective solution to the nursing home crisis as the 77 million baby boomers hit the long-term care market. 
I want to take this one step further because the mission in my heart is really to change the way the long-term care industry is paid, thereby changing the incentives to facilities achieving the previously discussed outcomes. And after finding almost $200 billion in savings for government spending, I am titled to propose the, t the rest of the job. I propose that we take some of the $200 billion, pay those nursing facilities that jump on this bandwagon and restore patients so they can go home or graduate to a lower level of care, such as home care or assisted living. Pay for performance, if you will. Directing $200 billion by $2 million patients is $100,000 per patient savings to the government if that patient re remains out of a nursing home for one year. What about awarding nurse bonuses to skilled nursing facilities in the amount of 10,000 per patient who is discharged home and does not need to return to any nursing home for three months, half of which they are discharged and half are uh, in half at three months. A nursing home that successfully restores 120 patients per year could earn an, an additional 1.2 million annually for doing the right thing. This would require an additional $19.2 billion investment by the federal government, roughly 10% of the potential savings. This solution delivers a win-win-win uh, solution or situa situation. The patients win, the operators win, and the government and the taxpayers win. I believe that sums it up. A potential savings to the federal government of $170 billion funds to help the long-term care industry become profitable and more importantly, the right care at the right time for patients and for the greater good of all. Thank you. For uh, you listeners that are skeptical of some of my calculations or theories or experiences, uh, I would recommend that you go to my author website it's www.jerryrhodesauthor.com. That's J-E-R-R-Y-R-H-O-A-D-S. Um, my 60 years of experience in healthcare has been that of an independent uh, CPA, um, accountant, uh, consultant, uh, speaker to over 200 workshops, uh, sp speaking at 10 to 12 national conventions, uh, and owning uh, our nursing homes uh, in Iowa and Arkansas. Prior to that, we were consultants, my wife and my son and I, in over 140 facilities in 22 different states, where we implemented our caregiver management system, which is the first step that I know of in healthcare to use artificial intelligence to, to develop uh, uh, standards of quality and uh, be able to manage processes through the continuum from physician to hospital, to nursing home, to home care, to hospice, to assisted living to amend, amend uh, independent living using our software, which we call, as I said before, caregiver management systems. But 
we've also referred to it as case management systems, managing the case from cradle to grave using um, standardized processes. So throughout the, uh, the whole episode, whatever it may be, physical, mental, uh, or uh, otherwise, can be utilized by the healthcare continuum to manage uh, the care by episode, not by diagnosis, not by some treatment regimen or uh, incompatible uh, healthcare language. It just standardizes the whole process using episodes and body systems as the way to trigger uh, where, the air, where the problem is and where the focus needs to be for the care plan, which then maps out the process, either clinical or therapeutic uh, with uh, goals set for each problem by body system to uh, pursue positive outcomes. So if you care to check out my credentials or get a look at the other books that I've written, I've written nine on healthcare, two on politics that relate to healthcare, and I hope you will check it out. And uh, to get more details, you can also buy a book. Thanks for listening.